This is Authors in Focus. Hi, I'm James Reed, a fantasy author publishing under JMD Reed. The first volume of my epic 12-book fantasy series, Shadow of the Dragons, is available for purchase. Check out Foundation of Courage. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Jessica Curry. She's the author of The Sphere, Sector One, Emerging Light. How are you doing today, Sarah? Hey, I am doing well. How are you today, sir? Ah, it's okay. Uh, Daylight saving is still kicking my butt. And um, so, yeah, I'm a little tired. And uh, yeah, Yeah. just just, uh, some other stuff. Waiting on some news. It's a little stressful, but nothing more than that. Ah, so I like to start these off with a fun question. So, Sarah, are you a Monday person? Am I a a Monday person? Yeah. You know, I'm a today person. (laughs) I'm very much a present minded. I'm just trying to do what I think of at the moment. Um a I like to say I'm a, a plotter with my pants on fire. Okay. So instead of a instead of a plotter or a pantser, I'm kind of in the middle. So I just um Monday is the end of the weekend. That's the only thing. I do like the weekend. That is true. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um how long have you wanted to be an author, Sarah? Um I think that I, when I was in third grade, I wrote some kind of poem about animals and their sounds. I don't really remember it. I just remember that was a general gist. And my third grade teacher was very impressed. And I was like, well, that's cool, you know. And then in seventh grade, I had a teacher that was also very encouraging and really got me thinking about writing. I don't know that I ever aspired to be a writer. Like when I got to college, I didn't think about oh, I'm going to do creative writing. You know, uh, I was trying to figure out what I would do with math or science. And it wasn't until I actually got into engineering that I was like, you know what? I want to be a writer. <laughs> and uh, it was a little little late by then. But, um, yeah, I think it's really good for me to um, have my writing as something that's, at least at the moment, not my primary job where I get money. Because I think it, I might treat it more as a job and keep, you know, try to keep deadlines and not necessarily write from my heart and write what I need to actually say. So I do hope one day it'll be full time, but for now it no. is my very happy hobby. I get what you're saying. Who it was. Um, there's an American poet. She's um, Emily Brown. Maybe I think it of. but anyways, so there's, she had a, there's a quote that she said, writing is like sex. First you do it for yourself then you do it for your friends, and then you do it for money. That is her quote. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But I don't remember who it's attributed to. It's, it's definitely one of the, like, American poetesses from, like, the 1800s. It's yeah. Oh, that's too funny. I have to look it up. I love to read. Um, I am a poet that does not read poetry, so I'm very bad with... Emily Dickinson, uh, that's probably who I'm thinking of. Why did I get that, yeah. from? I'm yeah, like, I could, oh. I'm blaming it on daylight savings because I feel so tired right now. Absolutely. That is totally the reason. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do, I do love to read. I just don't ever necessarily remember what, who, who the authors were that I read. I've actually tried to be very uh, careful. Virginia Woolf. I was really off. Oh, 
Yeah, yeah I could definitely see first, her saying that. First you do it for love, then you do it for friends, and then you do it for money is her quote. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She was she was not a happy person, as I recall from stories that I've heard, but there any can't say. Are that were happy? Yeah, you know, I'm a str- I'm striving to be one. <laughs> 1800s. Oh, 1800s. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to be the I'm going to bring poetry back around in the 2000s and make sure that it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh you studied engineering. Uh what sort of engineering? I studied civil engineering and then when I got my job, I actually used my engineering degree to step into the company and it wasn't until a few years later after I'd had some experience in the manufacturing facility that I decided which branch of engineering I wanted to do there. And so a lot of it is on the job training. And so I ended up in uh, quality engineering. And so basically if something is broken, I go make sure it really is broken. And then I talk to the vendor <laughs> to, uh, if it was their fault, I try to send it back to them. And if it's our fault, then we might have to scrap it. So try to keep up with the, the approvals and the money and making sure that everything is smooth sailing. All right, that's interesting. I um, I flirted with mechanical drafting with an idea of maybe going into engineering afterwards, but then um, I dropped out of college because I'd rather play video games. So not not great life choices, but uh, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about your novel Emerging Light. It is a story that delves into the heart, mind, and soul of the human experience. Tell me about it. It is one of those that's hard to describe, but the first thing that I always say about this book is that it has a heart, a mind, and soul, because in it is a short story that is its heart, and there's also a concept to engage the mind, and there's poetry to bring some soul into the whole thing. And so when I got it narrated, I actually had three different voices because of the three different I guess you'd say angles that it comes from. But, um, you know, as I'm listening to the conversations on your fantastic adventure page and um, the fantasy sci-fi focus, I'm realizing that I feel like what I've written is like a backbone of what character, where characters come from, because it's a story, a journey and many thoughts about our human experience, how we relate to each other. It's not like a self-help book, but it's a, I don't know, almost a conversation and something that can be meditated upon. A lot of times when I mention it on the page, I'll say that if you need a break from your intense, dramatic, you know, books or your adventures that have left you breathless, come get a breath of fresh air with Emerging Light. And then go back to your adventure. I see. So you're, you need a break from Lady Shadow's Ire, for instance, by a certain <laughs> author that might be the guy talking right now. And you just need Absolutely. a quick little breather. Then you go read yours. Then you, you know, exactly. you come back to the nail biting, you know, action adventure. All exactly. Right. That's, that's, that's it. Good. So, um, what do you think it's important that a book has a heart, mind, and soul? Well, that was one thing that I, it, it would not come together independently. I felt like for several years, I had written poetry since I was about 16. I'm 36 now, and I published this when I was 35, I think. Um, so not that long ago. 
but I started writing poetry when I was 16 and I got some like copy written, uh, copyrighted, whatever when I was, uh, younger, but it just never really felt like it was time to publish. And I didn't know how I didn't know how to combine it together to where it had any kind of meld. And when I started looking into it, I thought it just, it needs something else. And so I really stopped for a while and I wasn't, I wasn't really, I was writing, but I really wasn't, it was just a bunch of poetry and it, you know, there were similar themes here and there, but it didn't really go together to me. And so I got divorced in 2017 and later that year, I started thinking on this concept of the sphere. And if you notice, the book is called Emerging Light, The Sphere Sector One. And that's because the concept in the book is basically the idea that we're all on a journey or several journeys at a time. We all have a direction that we're going, a direction that we've come from, and we pass each other on the road. And it's amazing how similar those roads are if we actually pay attention. And so the idea of the sphere just started coming to mind. It started as the circle and then it developed. And so as I started thinking about it, I just started writing and I just I started writing everything that kept coming to mind about it. And all of a sudden, every life cycle that I could think of just immediately fit into this idea, a butterfly's life cycle, the life cycle of a star, the um, not just that, but then I would be watching a movie or reading a book and realize how much one character's journey followed a spherical cycle. And so it really struck me and I really started putting a lot of pieces together. And so I took that and I just kept writing it. So I had an opportunity to be in a hotel room by myself for two days straight, which to some people was probably a terrible idea. But for me, it was a dream come true. Uh, it was away from all responsibilities. And so I took all my writing with me, the sphere, the poetry, everything I could think of, because I was like, I know this is there's a book in here somewhere. I feel like there's something here. And so this was January of 2020. And so I sat down in the hotel room and all of a sudden just creativity just flowed. And it turned out that the sphere became the structure of the book. The sphere is divided into eight sectors and each sector has a message. And those messages, they came to me, but then evolved over time and it had evolved several times. But as I sat with my poetry and looked over it, I realized that all the poetry fit into one of those categories. And so it ended up that I was able to, with my engineering brain that wants to put things in order and patterns, <laughs> I divided the book up into eight sectors and I got as I counted it up and, and arranged the poetry, you know, like a hotel room with papers all over the bed, all over the floor. I put everything where I thought it would go. Like I put them together as I, I felt like they fit together, basically, by theme. Yeah. And I ended up with seven poems for each sector. And I had a couple to fill and. It was amazing how it just flowed. And so I sat there and I just wrote a poem to go in that hole wherever I was missing pieces. And um, so the puzzle really came together and it felt like, you know, I had the concept, I had the mind, the concept of the sphere in there. And then 
the soul, the poetry was there, but there was that the heart was missing. And so I actually found a it's a it's a very basic creation story, um, just a story of the origin of the world, but from a very unique point of view and very, very, very simplified. And so I read it to myself and it had been something that I just sat down and wrote one day and had no intentions for it other than just writing it. And I wrote it and it ended up being long enough to split into seven parts. And so I ended up writing the eighth part of the story, or actually it ended up being nine parts, the eighth and ninth part of the story while I was at the hotel. And it just, it wrapped it all up so perfectly. And so I finally had all of the ideas in one place, all of this writing that I had done over the years in one collection and organized in a way that just finally made sense. And so throughout that year, that was January. And throughout the year, I had people beta read and, you know, I edited, I thought about the writing, I I changed some things up. And um, then I ended up publishing in December of that year. So a lot of people say 2020 was like the year from hell. And it was, but I was grateful to have my book born out of it. Yeah, no, I, uh, I understand the hotel thing. Uh, so August of 2020, I was going to check into a hotel for three days just to take a little vacation. Uh, cause I had to cancel my actual vacation cause you know, it was 2020. Oh, and, right. um, and I had to cancel that vacation cause my landlord sold the place I was living in and I had to move that month instead. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So he's like July. He's like, okay, you guys got 45 days to uh, move out cause I'm selling the place. And, uh, <laughs> Surprise. which is, yeah. Then, uh, he offered to sell it to me, but I didn't want to pay that much for it because it was a shitty little house. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> sold that shitty little house for, cause like it sold, it was sold by in a month. And, uh, for wow. it's like the housing market where I live is just so insane, um, which made finding a place to rent it horrible because every like like it was stressful for like two weeks. Like every place we contacted, they were like, no, we've already rented. Like we posted oh, this no. yesterday. We've already rented. Whoa, yeah. that was quick. Good gracious. Because uh, like the pandemic like eviction moratorium was lifted in my state, or at least in my yeah. county. So like everyone. Everybody was, got kicked out. Well, the people who were paying, like we were paying, it's just the guy wanted to sell the house. Right. So we weren't like evicted for being bad tenants. We we're just, you know, selling the place so he wasn't renting towards for us any longer. So. You right. Know. Right. Oh, Which is wow. actually what happened at the last place I lived at too. We're like we're selling the place. When I when I sold my house, I was having trouble. This was in like 2018, I guess. I was having trouble selling it, and I got advice from somebody that I should fold the towels like a hotel folds towels to where it's like little shapes and stuff. My house sold in two weeks. Now here it's like, um, like people are told like, if you don't make an offer, like, uh, like 10 or 15% above asking, you're not even going to get a, have a chance of buying the place. Wow. Um, it's crazy stupid here. It was, cause that I sounds like it. Yeah. My house was only like, I think one Oh three. And it was like, uh, 1200 square feet. I think. Yeah, that was like the size of the house I was living in. He sold that thing for two hundred and twenty-five thousand last year. Man, my rent here is going up because like the property value on this house like went up so much. Like, 
my landlord has to charge us like an extra two fifty a month. I guess good property value is not a bad thing, but <laughs> no fun for upping rent. Oh, the problem was is like our our landlord he didn't up our rent. Like we lived there for we moved in in twenty in twenty ten and oh, wow. twenty twenty one, and he never he only raised our rent like fifty dollars that entire time. Wow. And we were also in for a shock because we were paying half of like oh like, of renting a house of a comfortable size. I mean, even like getting an apartment, getting like a, a t- apartment in some of the terrible neighborhoods that I know of was like 1600 for a one bedroom a month. Good and I'm like, these are, these are places where like, you know, you um don't leave valuables in your car and there's shootings happen. Yeah. Like, wow. Me? It's like, it sounds like, like yeah, I, I live just east of Jackson, Mississippi and it's, it's very bad in Jackson, but it's actually good here. So. Yeah, well, I'm a little farther off to come, so it's not as bad where I'm at. But, like, as I said, I was like, the Drake Apartments, is like I had lived there in my poor 20s, and yeah. I didn't want to move there because it's a, not a great area. Like, I saw a shooting just down the road from there when I was working back in, oh, uh, like, 2012, 2013. I was driving a paratransit shuttle, and and I'm coming up on the intersection of Still and, and um, 96th Street, which is – which at, when, at the time – I only lived like five minutes away from there, and there was like gangs shooting across the street. Oh wow! They were like they were in the Seven Eleven parking lot shooting at guys that were in the retirement homes parking lot. A place like mm. I deliver, I took passengers all the time, and they were just yeah. Wow. That was gracious. Yeah, I I was coming up. I used to work. Um, I went to Jackson State for my engineering degree, and I worked at the recreation complex, and I was driving to work one day and I heard I said nope and I made a u-turn and I I called my supervisor I was like I'm not gonna make it I said there's there's a shooting going on up there and I'm going home and it was it was crazy because I knew I was almost up on it and um the person in front of me made a u-turn and I went right behind him we both ran the red light and kept going and um I found out later that it was somebody I think the vehicle that I saw that had like pulled kind of crooked into a parking lot uh not too far ahead of me i think it was them and they were like, shooting up a hair salon or something i guess somebody was in there that they knew or whatever and uh so i was like yeah i'm glad that i left when i did and that i wasn't yeah. right in the middle of it yeah no it was i don't know like um you know like cops cops used to film with like the pierce county sheriff department which is the sheriff's where i live and like you wouldn't see places like you visited be like oh i've been to that's a 7-eleven by my house that they're <laughs> arresting someone in. <laughs> oh, man. I saw that what's like, they chased a perp out in the Spanaway Lake, and I'm like, oh, man, Spanaway Lake is like, there's there's just really nice houses around Spanaway Lake. <laughs> oh, like, you yeah. know, multi, there's like some multi-million dollar mansions around that lake, and they, the cops are chasing some, like, drunk driver out into the lake. Oh, my gosh. It's like swimming in, like, February out there in the freezing water, and they're just on the shore, like, with the dogs, like, hey, just, you know, swim back before you, like, you know, die of hyperthermia and drown. <laughs> oh, wow. Man, quite the but, adventure. <laughs> then my friend works at the Thurston County Jail, which is the county just south of here. But there's a lot of criminals, like, you know, they go between county and county. They loved watching cops yeah. in jail. It was, like, one of their favorite <laughs> shows. What? They would, yes, they loved it. They would see friends of theirs on it. You know? Oh, that is hilarious. 
And he was like, I was like, you're right, you're kidding me. They like watching cops. Like, yeah, they like watching cops. I'm like, that's so dumb. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, oh, um, that's like hilarious. My, it's like my buddy when he was in Iraq during, like, 20, 2004, and he was in the green zone. And he said he spent, like, most of his free time just playing Call of Duty. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You're playing, you're playing a military shooter in a combat zone. He's like, yeah, that's what we did for fun. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, yeah. Oh. Life's strange. So you uh you have your book. Yes. Uh, sounds very uh very interesting. Um, so is it like a collection of like short stories, or is it like um is there uh, an overarching plot, uh, characters? Um, the overarching plot would be the story that's intertwined. So basically, it's like you start out with an introduction of what this kind of the concept of the sphere. And then it's the story part one. And in the audiobook version, that part is read by my partner, Kim. And she has a very rich, like, I call it a chocolatey voice. <laughs> and uh, I actually had a couple of people at work. I had them listen to the sample. And they said, she can read me a bedtime story anytime. And I was like, no, she can't. <laughs> and uh, so they, uh, she has, like, the, the richness. She has the richness to it. Um, and that's kind of what the story does, too. And then so you have the story part one and then you have aim one, A-I-M, aim, which um, just to kind of give a quick idea of the aims. Uh, like I said, there's eight sectors and aim one is pay attention. And it's basically just the idea that we need to pay attention to what's around us. And that's where we start at the beginning of a journey. That's where we start to gather information to soak in the good around us um and then sector two is keep light in sight so as we pay keep attention inside okay keep light in sight so as you start to travel uh from basically like the north pole you start traveling southward and as you go it's very bright at the top the source of light and life is at the top is at the north pole as you start to travel you start to see shadows and you start to notice longer and longer shadows until you get to the South Pole. And then that's the place where you might call it the Valley of the Shadow. That's the rock bottom. That's the place that could be a place of despair. If you have not paid attention and kept light in sight at the beginning, like a solar battery and just soaked in everything good that you saw, everything good that you experienced, you hold on to that like a solar battery holds on to sunlight so that when night comes, you're ready and you have your inner light that keeps you strong to make it through. So once you get to that point, basically the south pole of the sphere, that's when you decide to keep going. And you have to make that decision that you are going to keep going. And that that place is the place. It could be a place of little hope in your life. It could be a place of addiction because Addiction takes so many different forms because it is a grasping for something solid, something secure, something stable. And in the idea of the sphere, when you're at the top, when you're at the North Pole, you're right by the source of life. You are in a place of just light, everything. You can see everything clearly. You're at peace. But as you travel down and you start to experience more and more and more, you start to notice the shadows because You've got more things to think about. And a lot of times those things that you're thinking about 
form substance in your life that if you think about it, if you have something in front of you and there's a light behind it, then there's going to be a shadow cast on you. And so, okay. you know what I mean? So if you get to that place and you feel like you're just in the dark, it's not that we're necessarily in a place with no light. It's just that we have to walk around that thing that we've put between ourselves and the source of our light and find it again. And so when you get to that place, South Pole, and you've either chosen to hold on to a person or an addiction or something that makes you feel safe, that's the time when you have to let it go. That's the time when you choose, okay, I can do this. I can let go of what I'm holding on to that feels like it's the only life source I have. And I can start walking back toward the source of light and life in my life. And so traveling from the South Pole back up to the North Pole is the second part and the final part of the journey. And that's where you realize, okay, kind of like in a a plot, you know, you've had your that climax and now you're you're on your way back to maybe it's happily ever after. Maybe it's a continuing mystery, but you're going back toward that place of light and place of hope that you were in at the beginning. But this time you're going back to that place with a whole journey of experience in your tool belt, I guess you could say. And I wish I could draw a picture. The The very beginning of the introduction says, imagine drawing a circle or pick up a pen or crayon, no judgment, and actually draw a circle. And when you draw that circle, look at the top of it and draw a source of light like a sun or a star. And that source of light, I call it the source. It's the source of light, source of life, source of energy, power, hope. Um, and, you know, as I'm telling the story throughout the book, that source of light kind of becomes an idea of the creator, the love in our lives, any kind of goodness that we have in our lives. That's what that source represents. And so the source is where every journey begins. So as you start your journey, you start at the source, which is at the North Pole, and then you start to travel down the sphere. And that's why when you get to the southern hemisphere, it just seems like you're in the dark, but the source is still there. You just have to turn around and head back toward it. You've you've been in a place that has strengthened you, that has reminded you that you're not alone. A lot of times I think on our journey, you know, the further you travel, the more people you meet. And if you pay attention, you notice that the journey they take is not so different from your own. And that's really the heart and the storyline of the sphere is reminding us that we are all traveling together. And no matter what we go through, there's somebody out there that has been through a similar experience. And we just have to be willing to listen and acknowledge that we are not the only ones going through what we're going through. We may be the only ones experiencing this particular unique situation, but every person experiences little bits of every other person's life because we're all connected on the same sphere. Interesting. So, um, yeah, it's a very uh, interesting philosophy on sort of how everything works, how to visualize it, you know, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, deep truths in there that you'll you find out 
popping all over the place in various religions, you know, philosopher writings and stuff like that. Right. And I think that's what um, that's what really drove me to write it, too, is that it's very not connected to any one religion at all. Like it's it's I grew up in a Christian church and then I realized I was gay and I was really confused (laughs) for a while about how to deal with all that kind of stuff. And but it really took me through a journey of self-discovery and world discovery more than anything. And it opened my eyes to the realization that no matter what background we come from, our stories are so connected and we can learn so very much from each other. But I think a lot of times we just are determined that we're the only ones going through what we're going through. And in full, yes, we're the only ones that are going to have the exact journey that we have. But in part, we can always relate to another human being. And it's sort of the selfishness that you think your your pain is the only pain that matters. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what sin always comes down to. Something selfish. Right. right. Something that that you do for yourself that hurts another person or hurts yourself. Right. Right. You know, that's sort of where that, yeah, yeah, that's what it kind of just really boils down to. It's the selfishness, the arrogance, the pride, the whatever that makes you think that you're different than everyone else, that you're better than everyone else, that you're not like those other people. When in fact, um, you're no different than a Roman who lived 2000 years ago. I mean, you have a different cultural perspective, but at the core of you, you're the same person like you have the the same capacity to do good and evil as all of those people as right. every human i mean we can go back to caveman times right hundred thousand years ago when they're drawing art in french caves and stuff like that yeah, yeah. you still had relationships you still had yeah. self-identity you still had struggle to survive you know yeah. there's so many things that we went to and one look thing at those, look at those cave paintings in france that's that's our ancestors trying to figure things out Right. Right. And we're constantly trying to figure things out. I think that's why there's so many books out there that are about self-discovery and identity crisis. And, you know, especially like um, uh, Voni. Right. (laughs) It's the the arrogance of the youth that they think the older generation hasn't had to live through all this shit and that they're discovering it for the first time. Right. Right. It's like when you realize that, you know, your parents had sex and probably had some kinky stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. That realization that, like, oh, um, that you learned about, like, you know, there were um, there's like BDSM pictures in tombs that are twenty six hundred <laughs> years old in Italy. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, they have a they have found um they have found dildos in that are a hundred thousand <laughs> years old. So. Right. Right. Is, uh, but I mean, it's just the shared experience. Uh, but every generation has to learn this lesson. Over right. and over again. It's very, um, it's very interesting. And it's, I, I know, like watching movies sometimes, it's like I see someone who, and it's not always a young person either. Sometimes it's, a, it's an older person who is not listening to the yeah, young yeah. person who knows right. what he's talking about. Or it's the young person who, like you said, is like, nobody understands me, you know. And right. there's a few against of the, of the elderly that they know what's right and that the young people are a bunch of idiots. It's the it's the opposite end of that spectrum. They're, they're right, both exist. Both right. I'm a little at fault like that because you know I'm 40 now, so I'm like, oh you. Uh, Are you really? 
I did not see that. I turned 40 a year ago. So I turned 41 okay. in April. Right April so. Cool. Yeah, well, well I didn't know you were 36. I thought you were in your 20s. That's so. hilarious. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would have pegged you for at least just like early 30s. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, yeah but I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a great judge of that either. Yeah, I was born in 85. They wrote songs about me and everything. You're the same um, age as my brother. <laughs> Am I? My brother was born in 85, yeah. I always like to say I was born the same year Mario was born. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. I remember I remember Mario. I played the hell out of that <laughs> game. That was that was amazing, like that Nintendo and Mario. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, my mom actually played with me a lot. We like to play the games. Um, uh-oh. There was this um there was this guy that rented our my parents' basement and he played a lot of he played Mario a lot. Yeah. Some unmarried guy in his like 20s i think late 20s he was like a, in the air force with my like in my dad's unit or whatever so, okay when i was a kid yeah. he seemed a lot older but i'm fairly certain he was only in his 20s <laughs> you know <when laughs> that's you're 10, that's, someone in their 20s is like so a, old yeah yeah oh that's funny now you're like I'm yeah. 40 and i don't when um, you're like when when did all the time go right <laughs> you start to get into your 30s and like wait why do I still feel like an idiot in my 20s sometimes? <laughs> well, good. Now I can send you that that uh, video I found today about 90s kids. Uh, and it was this this guy just showing all the different things that we did because we didn't have Internet. Oh, and, yeah. Um, I, did yeah some, was... I did some dumb stuff that, like, I don't – kids <laughs> would never be allowed to do today. Yeah. Oh, my friend had a – I'm in the first grade. My friend had a 30cc motorcycle. And we just drove it around his property unsupervised. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't wearing okay, helmets or anything. Oh. We had, like, BB guns and stuff. It was, it was great right. stuff. <laughs> my mom, like, yeah, we just, like, my mom would just, like, you know, it's, like, the sun setting. You better show up. Yeah. Right. That's how it was. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, your book, it really does sound really fascinating. I wish, uh, I, would, I wish I was better at explaining it because <laughs> I think mean, other people tell me what they thought of it and they sound like so much better than my explanation. Um, but the good thing about it is like if anybody hears me explain it and is like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, it's really short. Like it's fairly short compared to a lot of the, you know, like JMB Reed kind of books we read. And so, uh, which are awesome, hey. by the way. I'm keeping them like around 95,000 words these days. Dude, I read Brandon Sanderson. Okay, so it's it's totally That's cool. right. I, read, I, wrote, I started reading Robert Jordan back in 92. So. Oh, my gosh. I actually, um, I started, I tried to listen to Wheel of Time, and it was like listening to Lord of the Rings, where I felt like I needed to stop and draw a flow chart and a family tree and a map before I could figure out what was going on. And... But it was because I was uh, listening to it, and that's I can't comprehend all the stuff listening that I can if I'm actually reading. And, like, I actually take notes, like, even on fiction books, fantasy books. I'll I'll just write stuff down because I like to make connections. And so that's like, a, that was, I will I will say this. Um, Robert Jordan is, I think, one of the best at using prophecy and foreshadowing in fantasy I've ever read. Like, interesting. It's it's a 14-book series, right? There is stuff prophesized in book one that doesn't happen until book 13. 
Oh, that's great. And he set it up like, and it it all like you go back and read like, oh, that's like, and it's like stuff that we'd all been like speculating on what it means. And, um, and it's, he's very good at, is it's all like a hodgepodge of mythology. Like every character in it is like four or five major mythological characters that have had their stories all kind of fused together and then worked into his world in a way that works. Cause like, huh. um, like the Odin character loses an eye, gets hung from a tree of, you know, for knowledge, you know, gets a weapon that's marked with two ravens, right? And it all makes yeah. sense. And those ravens then cause him more problems because of, Something else that happens. There's a the character that's the tear character. He loses his hand, right? Like tear does, because tear thrusts his hand into Garm's mouth. Okay. You know, right. So he, like, he, like when you you figure out like he's tear, and then like you're, he's like he's gonna lose a hand. People were speculating this, and then it <laughs> happens like book eleven. Oh wow! Right? People were like figuring out because they're like he's his mythology is very on point, and it's also a Thurian. So like all the major characters are also a Thurian characters. And they have very and they have very Arthurian names. Like the main character is Rand Al Thor, right? He's our hero character. He's Rand okay. he's Arthur, right? Al Thor. Yeah, yeah. Arthur. Right? Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> you know, right? And like he's one of his love interests is Elaine, who is a female character. You have and she has two brothers. That's Gawain and um, that are Gawain and Galahad. You know, characters and like gotcha. uh, Mor- Moraine is you know. You know, our witch character, Nynaeve, like, they're all, like, from Arthurian legend. Uh, oh, that's really cool. They're also all from mythology. Yeah, it is insane. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, that's just me. I was really obsessed with those. Like, uh, those hit when I was in junior high, and so I, I was obsessed with them through junior high, high school, and my college years when I wasn't going to college but playing video games. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so that was a time. That was, like, when, you know, that was my fan thing I probably was the most ever obsessed over. Well, um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I am, um, once we finish here, I'm going to, uh, hang out with Kim, who is probably playing, um, Forbidden West right now uh, on PlayStation. So <laughs> I totally my, understand. My roommate was playing Forbidden West and then Elden Ring came out and he's forgotten uh, about it. Gotcha. <laughs> Forbidden West came out just at the wrong time. Yeah, I think we had a couple of different things come out that we were competing Cause against. Because El- Elden Ring is open world. That's everyone just wants to talk about. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love some Aloy, though. Guy loves some Aloy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I stopped playing video games when I wrote, when I started writing full time. So I never. So when um, the first game came out, it was I was already not playing video games anymore. Um, gotcha. But, like, yeah, I got why people liked it. Like, I saw it. It's It's got the robot dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aloy, she seems like a, a good protagonist. Um. From what yeah, I remember, really, she's really, they didn't like they didn't like Mary Sue her. So right, like, she's I got think. attitude in this one. It's hilarious because there was like this guy that's basically a priest, and he was very full of himself, and he kept trying to read these scrolls whenever they questioned him. They were he was going to read, you know, the decree that he had come to read, and she looked over at him. She was like, "Hey, you," and then she continued her conversation, and I was just like, "Oh, I like her. She's fun." I mean. Yeah, um, she's- like I said, I don't yeah. know anything about the next game. Like, so like uh, I only saw gameplay stuff, and I kind of got bored watching people play it. So it kind of got um, it got like repetitive to watch. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes, there's. I'm not finding that with Elden Ring. I've been watching people play Elden Ring for too many, like all my free time or when I'm doing stuff I don't need to 
I can watch something while working. It's been watching somebody play Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like to watch people play FromSoft games, so I'm weird that way, maybe. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you, if you um, need something to watch, since I can self-promote on here. Um, yeah, tell us about the podcast. <laughs> uh, I was on your podcast uh, for the launch of um, Foundation of Courage, and I'm going to be back again to talk about book two here in um, a few weeks, yeah. right? Yeah, at the end of the month. Um, we're going to do it where we release the video the day before the launch of the next book because the video will be full of spoilers. And by the time the next book comes out, hopefully everyone will be up to date on the book that is currently out so that um, we'll be able to, like, share a bunch of fun spoilers and talk about the book and, you know, what we thought of it and everything. And you can yeah. kind of tell us a little more about the development of characters and your thoughts on yeah. the plot. And all that so, stuff, so, so pitch your podcast. Yeah. What's it called? Um, I have authors and, um, no, <laughs> you are authors I, and focus. <laughs> Author talk with SJC. Um, my full name is Sarah Jessica Curry and I go by Sarah Jessica or SJ or Jess or Jessica, any of those, any of these above. Um, but author talk with SJC. I started with interviewing G Norman Lippert about his James Potter series. And I actually, even before I talked to him, uh, the reason I even started the YouTube channel was that I wanted to see his short stories. I wanted to be able to listen to them on Audible, but they were fan fiction, so I couldn't do that. And they also had not been read, you know, for any kind of free service. And so uh, I said, do you mind if I read your books on my YouTube channel? And he was like, sure, you can do that. And so I read his Harry's First Christmas and Merlin's Gift. And Peter's Getaway, all on the channel. And um, Merlin's Merlin's gift. You were just talking about Arthurian legend. Uh, they throw Merlin in along with the founders of Hogwarts, which is just a fascinating. It's a very short story, but it's just it's so interesting to see how he interweaves the characters from Harry Potter that are just briefly mentioned, and he kind of develops their story, which is okay. and and throws Merlin in, you know, the mix, and so. Uh, because they would have been around the same time. Yeah, I, I believe Merlin is canon in, um, like, she's mentioned name drop Merlin, I think, at some, in some spots. In the right. Movies. Merlin's pants. Right. <laughs> yeah. They swear by thought. him. So, he's, right. uh, somewhat important in the. He existed at some point. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, anyways, uh, and then Harry's Christmas, and it's all about the Marauders. And I love those stories, and I wanted to read them as did. And so, if anybody wants just a, a, story time you know cross your feet sit on a carpet and play these videos and uh, you'll have story time but uh i just read the books aloud and uh did little voices for fun you know um and then after i read those i was perusing his website and i found a link that said uh if you'd like an interview or if you uh let me know and i was like ooh, that's an idea and so i asked i said hey can i interview you on the channel and we had already been talking about the books and things like that. And, you know, he's a great person to talk to. And he was like, yeah, sure. So I ended up talking to him for an hour and a half because we just both bounced off of each other and just had a lot to share. And so I ended up splitting the, the interview up into four different videos and I collected all the spoiler stuff into one video and then the others were more safe to watch, you know? And so at that time I didn't really have it as a, author interview you know show or anything but 
I was on Facebook one time and somebody mentioned, has anyone done author interviews? And so I threw the link out there. I was like, yeah, I've interviewed G. Norman Lippert. And then that's when I think that's where Michael Evan actually saw me. And he said, hey, uh, I have this guy that writes books. If you read Brandon Sanderson, you'd like him. And I was like, "Okay, cool. And so he said he'd be a good one to interview. And I was like, huh, Okay, cool. And so that's when I started looking into, you know, I got on fantasy and sci-fi focus and um, he told me that he could help promote emerging light. And so I said, "Okay, that'd be cool, too. And then I started talking to you and I read Foundation of Courage and absolutely loved it. And so once I read that, you know, at first, when you first interview an author, you read their book and it may be like that one off. It's like you read it pretty cool. Okay, let's interview you and then we're going to, you know, go to the next person. And with yours, I was like, okay, how many books are there? Okay, that's how many interviews we're going to (laughs) do. Yes. Awesome. So I'm really excited because I know the first one we did uh, was an hour long, but the first half was spoiler free so that I could get just kind of an introduction with you and we could talk about just life in general and writing. And then the second half was all about the book. And actually, I think I cut us off at 25 minutes because I couldn't couldn't wait to start talking about the book. <laughs> and so I jumped in and started talking about Foundation of Courage. And oh, my gosh, it's such a good book. And I am grateful to be able to preview the next one. And so I, I think I'm about a third of the way through it right now. And very excited about that. So I'm really enjoying the story. And so what I'm planning to do is an interview that's I'm just going to start at the top with spoilers, because, like I said, we're going to post it the day before the next book comes out. So everybody should have finished it by then if they are faithful to the cause. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, awesome. yeah, so it's been really, uh, really great talking with you. Um, do you have anything like writing wise in the works? planned uh, for the future? Well, I am definitely working on the Sphere Sector 2, and it's going to be called Entrancing Shadows. So we go from Emerging Light to Entrancing Shadows. Nice. Well, if you want to, like, let uh, listeners know whether you're the name of your YouTube channel, uh, you know, where they can connect with you on Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. My, uh, I guess you could call it a company. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's Write Me Poetry. So it was W-R-I-T-E, Write Me Poetry. And on YouTube, that's all one word. Just go to YouTube and look up Write Me Poetry. On Facebook, when I first set it up, for some reason I didn't do it as all one word, but it is all three words, Write Me Poetry on Facebook. And I actually have writemepoetry.org. Like you, I don't update it very well. I need to do better. (laughs) But um, it is out there, and it's kind of cute, you know, so it's something to to check out and um yeah i'm looking forward to the second book because i had an idea that i don't know has been done before it may have but like i said i'm a poet who doesn't read poetry so i wouldn't know but i'm planning to take the poetry that's in the book and create sequels to those as well so that if you read the second book the poems in it will be like a continuing story i love sequels i love a continuing story and so I don't want the poetry to be, you know, poetry to me should not be college level complicated. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And that's how the poetry is in my book. It is not college level complicated. It's not something you're going to study 
you know, one line at a time for a whole semester of college. It's something that is just straight up, straight up conversation and, you know, something that is easily, easily understood. And yet still has the, yeah. I can't imagine studying a single poem like that. That sounds so horribly pretentious. Yeah. And I remember being in, in school and anytime poetry came up, it was Shakespeare or Dante or, you know, and they never put before you something that was easier to understand. And if they did, it wasn't really considered poetry. It was like, um, oh, here's a song. Here's a rap. Here's a greeting card. You know, those are all the things that they're poetry that's easy to understand, but we don't connect the word poetry to them. And so we don't necessarily, as a society, have a positive opinion of a lot of poetry because we don't consider what we hear that rhymes or has a rhythm and is really cool as poetry. It's a song or, you know, something yeah, like no, that. It's true. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm, I'm trying to do. I, I actually, um, had a lot of, a lot of time in my life where I was, I was writing it as songs or as letters. You know, it's, it's more like I was trying to write a letter and it came out as a poem or I was trying to write a story and it came out as a poem. <laughs> you know, and it's like, when I write, it just comes out in rhythm and rhyme and I can't help it. And so I just use it to my advantage. Um, but do you mind if I read one? Just yeah, no, read one. show an example, I guess. Um, I'm trying to grab one that uh, flipping pages right now. Do, do, do. Mm-hmm. We can edit this part out. <laughs> thinking, thinking. Okay, let's see. I always read said mushroom to flower. That's just the one that ends up coming up. Um, and if you don't mind a quick story about it. No, no. Um, when I was 22, I was almost 22. I was 21. Um, and I was trying to come to terms with whatever sexual orientation I was. I didn't understand that concept growing up because we didn't talk about it. Uh, just because of the society, the, um, environment I was in. And so I did not understand what being gay meant and like why it was that I had a boyfriend in college that I did not miss when he was away. You know, I was like, what is wrong with me? I was to the point where I, I really thought something psychologically was wrong with me as a person. And so over time, um, I started realizing, you know, what at the time I considered the devil putting images of women in my head. That is exactly the words I used when I told a friend of mine what was going on. <laughs> um, thankfully, I that was kind of the springboard forward to start analyzing and understanding who I really was. And that's really the root of some of the poetry in this book. A lot of it is uh, self-discovery. And so I worked at a girl's Christian camp for two summers and the summer of 2007 was when I wrote this poem. But the reason I wrote it is because I was out every morning at that camp. I got up really early before everyone else was awake. And I went out to this tree that had a bench beside it. And I sat and I would have a quiet time. A lot of times I would have my Bible out there. And, you know, at first it was a religious thing as far as consistent, you know, going out and having a certain place I would read, a certain passage or something like that. And I had gotten so conflicted by July of 2007 that I went out one day 
this was after I had talked to several people who were gay. I had, you know, done a lot of research, done a lot of praying, done a lot of, uh, just had a lot of conversations and tried to figure out who I was. And so I went out that day and I sat on the bench and I sat down and I just looked up at the sky and I said, you talk because I had nothing left. I was empty. I had tried to understand. I had tried to understand how I could be Christian and gay or, you know, how that all worked. And so I sat there and the very first thing that came to mind was a passage that I had learned. Um, no, no, no. What came to mind at that point was a jump rope song that had been uh, sung the day before by a couple of the girls in the camp. And they said they were doing their jump rope and they said kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And they kept going all the way up to marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce. And it struck me that they considered that canon. You know, they considered that part of life that if you got married, you were going to get divorced. That was just kind of a thing that happened, just like going from first grade to second grade. And um, it really <laughs> I'm sure you can hear the dog now. It really uh, hurt my heart, you know, to realize that that they just expected that. Um, and so divorce is necessary at times. Absolutely. I mean, I'm divorced, <laughs> but um, I also that as a child, I would not have wanted to go into life thinking that that's just the ultimate result of any any marriage that I went into. Um, and so that came to mind. And then the next thing I did was I decided to go ahead and open my Bible, but I let my fingers fall wherever it opened to. So I just opened and I pointed at the book and I looked down and it was a passage that Paul had written um, to one of the churches. And it basically said there is now neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female for all are one. And I was like, okay, you know, and so the next thing that came to mind was um, my best friend at the time who I ended up married to <laughs> for several years. Uh, she had told me that in her mind, she just kept hearing, don't limit me. She just felt like God was saying, don't limit me. Don't limit me. And I, neither one of us really knew what exactly that meant, but that was what she kept hearing. And so all of that combined just came together as a message in my mind. And it was, why do you limit me when divorce rate is so high? Why do you limit me and tell me that I cannot take two men or two women and let them be together as an example of what love is? And I felt like love was speaking to me at that point, saying, I want to grow in the world. Love, there needs to be more love in the world. And for that to be shown by two men or two women should not matter. It should be able to be shared. And so I really felt like I came out to myself that day. I allowed myself to be who I was starting at that point. And so I got up from the bench and I looked down at the ground and most of it was just leaves that had fallen. And the day before I had seen a purple flower amongst all the leaves. And I, I just thought it was really pretty. And I was still kind of in a meditative, prayerful state. And so I thought, I wish I could see that flower again. So I just started walking back to my cabin, just kind of casually looking around on the ground for it. And I didn't see it, but something caught my eye that was over by a tree trunk and it was bright orange. And I went over to it and it was a mushroom. 
And that was not what I expected at all. I had never seen a mushroom with such a bright color. And when I went to look at it, it was beautiful. And that was absolutely not what I expected. And a poem came to mind not long after that that really wrapped all of that up together. And so it's called Said Mushroom to Flower. I may be shorter. I may be more round. But when I'm lost, I'm still worth being found. Though your head be crowned with colors so bright, when you wilt and fall, I still stand upright. Don't look down on me. Our beauty is the same. I may not be popular, but I still have a name. You and I were created by the same creative hand. And though we are different, we share the same land. The rain we share and the sunshine, too. So don't count me unworthy because I'm different than you. Well, that is very nice and a lovely way to end our little conversation. <laughs> I love it. That uh I feel like most of the poems in the book have some kind of story like that behind them. And I feel like I need to write that at some point, but I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not good at prose. <laughs> All right. Well, it has been a delight to talk with you, Sarah. Well, it is great to talk to you as well, James. I appreciate you bringing me on your podcast. Yeah. today. I was thrilled when I saw that you were on my schedule. So, <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, I hope you have yourself a, uh, I believe it's evening there in Mississippi. So I hope you have a great it's evening. Perfect. All right. I sure will. It's it's a little after eight. So, you know, it's bedtime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you take care. All right. You too, James. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. This has been Authors in Focus. You can find my fantasy novels on Amazon. Follow news of my writing at my blog, jmd-read.com. And follow me on Twitter at jmdread. You can also join my reader group on Facebook, Fantastical Worlds of the Imagination. You can find more episodes of the podcast at fantasy-focus.com or wherever your favorite podcast is hosted.